Well, I'm sorry. That's a cult. Well, hello, Michelle. Hello, Geordie. Oh, you're not feeling too bright? (laughs) No, I'm feeling absolutely great, but good. I did literally roll out of bed. I've got the hair to prove it. I'm in you the robe. Have. What a shame the listeners at home can't <laughs> see the wig you're wearing this morning. <laughs> we should introduce ourselves before I go on to inane chat. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. Because we are all times at all. What? We are all places, all times, everywhere, all at once. Everything, everywhere, all at once. Exactly. And I'm Geordie. And I'm Michelle. And you are listening to eavesdropping. You're eavesdropping on us. We're chatting. You're eavesdropping on a conversation. We're chatting. You're listening. That's how it works. You're listening. <laughs> Hopefully we'll keep you engaged all the way to the very end. You were talking about a wig. I look like I do have a wig today. Yes, you do. Yes. I sleep on my hair. It looks bad. I mean, it's not the greatest hair. I wasn't blessed with the best hair. Sorry, Jen. Did Jen give it to you? What's Jen's hair like? At the moment, Jen's got grey hair. It's not a grey wig. I thought it was blonde. Well, it's Hollywood blonde. She pops a bit of Hollywood, Hollywood blonde, blonde in there. I've got curly hair. It's, yeah. It's not the best hair. But you'll never see Michelle with a curl. Not really, no. Doesn't love the curls. You don't embrace your curls. No, I don't. Why? Why would I do that? I want to torture my hair every day. Okay, well, let, let me add it one day. We can do... The thing that girls do, they play with each other's hair. I don't even know why I'm talking so much about hair. Yeah, we're spending a lot of time on hair. I will say too, I've had more comments about the travel pussy. It's ignited a lot of talk. People seem to be aware of the travel pussy, but if that's the case, why haven't we heard about it sooner? Well, this is the thing. An Australian listener did get in touch. Yes. Shocked. Never even heard of a travel pussy before. So I think it's a 50-50. It could be a European thing. I think it is a European thing, specifically a German thing. (laughs) I spoke to Andreas and I said, listen, Geordie said you've got to go into the Autobahn toilets next time you're in there and buy a travel pussy. Purchase that pussy. And he said, what, do I have to use it as well? Oh, if he's offering, we'd like to see it unwrapped, wouldn't we? Yes, he's welcome to test it if that's for the good of the podcast. <laughs> I don't know. Let's have a poll on that. Should Andreas test the travel pussy? <laughs> right in. Crikey. Okay, so Michelle, I was talking to you the other day about our Patreon account, wasn't I? Yes, you were. So for those of you who aren't members of the Patreon, or a patron I think you're known as if you do sign up, There are some benefits to joining, as some of our listeners will have found out. You can get extra droppings for a start. And we recently did a couple of episodes. You get one a month. And there's been a little change, which Michelle will tell you about now, regarding all those bloody show notes that she constantly goes on about. Tell them, Michelle. The bloody show notes. They take time, people. They take time. They do. And they're being typed up and researched by a professional (laughs) journalist. And they're not always directly the things that we talk about. They are things of interest. Other fun things. Other fun things, things that you might want to see, listen to. Little wormholes to go down, you know, when you can't sleep at night. You just jump on the Patreon, you click on the link. It's a bag of fun, quite simply. It's entertainment, people. We put videos on there. We put all sorts of things, links to videos. They're all links. 
I link the shit out of it. Can we post videos up? Like, can we put the weekly eavesdropping videos that we do, our social media videos up on there? Yeah, we can. Those of you who don't follow us on social media can find all of our videos up there. Sometimes we do little funny videos, like I think we tried to do our own pilot for a cooking TV program recently. Maybe we'll pop that up there. There's all sorts of things. All sorts of ridiculousness. Yeah, really silly things. So check it out. Now, speaking of Patreon, we did put a chat with Neil the Scientist up on Patreon. We did get some comments about that. I think one of our patrons said... Oh, he's an interesting guy. And he is. That's he's, true. He's yes. He's an interesting guy. He's got his own jingle. For God's sake. He did write in. Full disclosure here. I haven't read your message yet, Neil, so it's going to be read out right here. Okay, let's hear it. What's Neil got to say? I do find him interesting to listen to as well. Neil the Scientist. Just a little heads up to people who they've just joined us. Neil the Scientist is a part-time researcher, full-time scientist as the name implies, from Australia. Used to go to school with Michelle. That's right, isn't it, Michelle? Yes, he did. And he's regularly writing in and helping us with our scientific information. Usually we've made the mistakes already. He rectifies them. Thank you, Neil. I know. He keeps us in check. And he says here, he has a a new nickname for Yannicka. Oh, I think she's happy with Yannicka from Amsterdam, but go ahead. What about Amsterdam knickers? (laughs) Why? The men are really coming in. Sorry to be sexist if that's what I'm doing here. You know, I'm Gen X. I'll get it wrong. But the men are really coming in with some quite sexual, underwear-based, lube-based, menopause-based, pussy-based nicknames for her. Yes. I mean, it was because she had that scary, but maybe a little alluring voice message (laughs) it was alluring and scary yeah and scary the ability to do both at once she's quite talented so Janneke from Amsterdam if you would like to be Janneke from Amsterdam knickers do write in let us know I think we will be hearing from Janneke quite strongly now (laughs) as soon as this episode comes out she's listened thank you Neil though stick to the science I've got a bit of that too because he says thanks heaps for the shout out I always love it, he says. And then he says, read the incorruptible stuff. Hmm? Oh, yes. Now, we did an episode on incorruptible bodies. Geordie, that was your topic. It was my story. It took me a moment for that to land in my mind and remember what the fuck I was talking about. But yes, I remember. Janneke, actually, and Steve had gone to Italy and seen basically a zombie on display in Italy in a church. Old bits and bobs. Oh, Better than the one we went to in Ischia where it was just the melted remains on a bit of stone. <gasps> really? Like oh. like when we catch a mouse and it empties out. I don't even want to what? talk about that. Empties out. The insides empty out and then it's just That's in a enough. pool of stuff. You asked for more, Geordie. I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> he says here, read the incorruptible stuff. Mm-hmm. Certain conditions can preserve bodies. You've probably seen the peat bog dudes, yes. for instance. Pete, his name is? Pete the peat bog. Just investor Googling and based on my own minor knowledge, the conditions that seem to keep bodies looking good in the ground are low oxygen, uh-huh. acidity and cold. Right. Basically, if the bugs that decay your dead giblets can't oh, live, thanks for then that you're likely image. to stay good looking longer. Oh, I love what it. He says. It's got quite the turn of phrase. Neil, you need to come on this show more often. Let's get him hooked up with a microphone. He used the word giblet. Giblets. I mean, I've, I love a giblet in a conversation, not on my plate. Neil, thank you because you've segued us right into Christmas 
because we need to play the Christmas jingle. How does that segue? Giblets are in turkeys, aren't they? <laughs> oh, that's a stretch. It's like a neck and some giblets. That's what they're called. They come in a bag or just loose inside the turkey cavity. There's another great word. And you have to roast them off as well with everything. And that sits in the juices. And I think this is interesting for listening for a vegan or a vegetarian. Sorry about that. And then you put your gravy stuff on top and make a gravy out of it. Well, turkey, giblets, and Christmas every Wednesday in December. It's a stretch, but let's have it. Let's do it. One, two, three. It's Christmas every Wednesday in December. Drop the meat. So will you drop with me? Drop, drop, drop. Sexy Santa in a place to play to play. What a hoot! What a hoot! And it makes me feel festive every time. Sexy Santa in a play suit. Well, we're almost there, Michelle. It's almost time to, to don your sexy Santa play suit, isn't it? It's only a couple of weeks yeah. away. Gosh, it does creep up, doesn't it? Remember, you tried to make me buy one of those, not sexy, but just a play suit for Andreas so he could look <laughs> like a little Christmas elf. I had to decline. <laughs> well, let's just see if he agrees to that first because I think maybe he might like that. You know what? He should push himself a little bit sometimes. You never know what you'll enjoy until you try it. <laughs> oh, dear. Actually, Michelle, yeah. you know it's Christmas and everything. Well, I've got something not Christmas-based to tell you. You know how you scroll through the social media as we're suggesting people do when they sign up to our Patreon account and they look at all our lovely links? I found this really interesting fact and I thought, that's got to be a lie. So I looked into it and it is... About Genghis Khan. Do you know much about Genghis Khan? How, what's that song by Boney M? Ra, ra, Rasputin, lover. They also did a Genghis Khan or Genghis Khan. Uh, Genghis Khan. I'm going to tell you a little bit about it because it's so interesting. Genghis Khan once ruled everything between the Pacific Ocean and the Caspian Sea. And when he died in 1227, he asked to be buried in secret. Okay. So how do you go about burying someone in secret? Okay, someone's going to know the secret. Well, this is what they did. The grieving army carried his body home. I got this from a history website, by the way. After seeing it posted on social media, Instagram, somewhere, God knows where, it just popped up. So the grieving army carried his body home, wherever that might be, Mongolia, maybe, killing anyone they met to keep the root hidden. When they laid their emperor out to rest... The soldiers rode 1,000 horses over his grave to destroy any trace of the ground being lifted up, him being buried inside. This is kind of linking to the incorruptible bodies. If we could find him, I wonder if he'd be intact. Probably. Incorrupted. He's magical. Is he? Magical Genghis. I don't know. We'll see. Not sure about that. No one ever discovered his tomb because there is a belief that the world will end if Genghis Khan's tomb is discovered. So I'll go back a step and say... Let's not go looking, because just in case. I don't want to find that. Now, surely the army then knew the general region of where he was buried. Wouldn't they then have to kill themselves? Let me finish, Michelle. You're one step ahead. Like the legend of Tamerlane, a 14th century Turkic Mongolian king whose tomb was opened in 1941 by Soviet archaeologists, 
straight after Nazi soldiers invaded the Soviet Union, launching World War II's bloody Eastern Front. Right. So that's the legend of Tamerlane. So they're saying that similar to that, if mm. they do find Genghis's tomb, we're fucked. Bad shit will happen. Exactly. So 2,000 slaves that attended his funeral were killed by the soldiers that were sent to guard them. And then the soldiers were then killed by another group of soldiers who killed anyone and anything that crossed their path to conceal where he was buried. Finally, the legend states, and this is legend, a bit like my Men in Black story, the legend states that when they reached their destination, they all killed themselves. Okay. And that's the story. How intriguing. Why would you sign up for that? Oh, yep. Yep, I'll take that assignment. They're fans. Big fans of Genghis and his wishes. A bit like a cult. A bit like a cult, yes. Good segue. Good segue. You do anything for your leader, even You do anything for that guy. You're in love with him. You think he's the best. And you know what? We do find cults really fascinating, don't we, Michelle? We really do. Not just the leaders of the cult. I was telling this to Tim the Magic Music Man. Can I just say, I love that. Tim the Magic Music Man already has a nickname. Tim the Magic Music Man and I were talking about what we like best about, you know, all the subjects that we cover on Eavesdropping. And I actually said, you know what, for me, it's the cults. And he said, well, I find cult leaders really scary. And I said, yeah, so do I. But interesting. Equally, though, the followers. Oh, yeah. As I always say, and I will say again today. Say it again, Michelle. Many of the followers, not all. Because a lot of them are smart people, but they've hit a moment in their life where they are lost. They're looking for something to fulfill them, to give them purpose, to give them meaning. And they're vulnerable and they come across something that they think, this is what I've been searching for my whole life. I'm going to invest. You are what I've been searching for my whole life. I give myself to you. Often when followers are pulled out, if they ever get out of the cult... They then see with fresh, clear vision what was really going on. But at the time, you're into it. Now, I actually found a cult and it was so strange when I first saw it. And I thought, oh my God, I found this tiny, teeny little cult that nobody knows about. Well, turns out just a couple of weeks ago, literally like 10 days ago, HBO released a documentary about the cult. Zeitgeisty, Michelle. That's us, isn't it? So here I was thinking, ooh, ooh, found it. No, someone's on it before me. Look, full disclosure, I didn't have time to watch that documentary. Well, you can link that and somebody can go and sign up to the Patreon account and find those links. Exactly. This cult is bizarre, to be honest. Most cults are bizarre, right? But what happened Mm -hmm. to the leader of this one is kind of grim. So put your sandwich down. Yes, put your sandwich down. It's a juice dropper. I'm looking at a cult called Love Has Won. It's also known as the Galactic Federation of Light. Oh, I love that already. And it's also called 5D Full Disclosure. What? 5D Full Disclosure. Okay. All right. So disclose, Michelle. I'm going to disclose. Disclose that. It began around... 2009. It was based in Colorado. It was kind of marketed as a new religious movement, kind of a a new way of living, not in our 3D world. First red flag. First red flag. Anytime they say, this is a new religion. Well, I'm sorry. That's a cult. In fact, I sometimes think that the old religions might be a bit culty as well. Oh, don't sue me. (laughs) Oops. It's true. I mean, someone died on a cross. Yeah. Did they? They probably did. Yeah. 
do go on. Now, I like that you just interjected with a red flag. So maybe you can keep red flag tally. Shall I continue? Yeah. You may not get through the story, Michelle. I've got a feeling. (laughs) (laughs) New way of living is what they were promoting. Not in our little old measly, horrible 3D world, but in a 5D world, which is where 5D full disclosure comes from. The cult was led by a woman called Amy Carlson. She was not referred to as Amy by her followers. She was known as Mother God. And she had a divine plan to help humanity. She's 19 billion years old. She's the reincarnation of Jesus, Joan of Arc, Cleopatra, Marilyn Monroe, John Lennon. Right, yeah. So I'm Michael Jackson. I'm trying to tot up the red flags, but I've lost count. It's over. It's game over on the red flags. (laughs) And Robin Williams. Okay, yeah, of course, yeah. There's a lot of information on the internet about Robin Williams and why she would be reincarnating him. Wow. But I'll link that up on the Patreon if you want to read more about that. I do find him fascinating, actually. Yes, I find him fascinating. Morecambe Mindy was a big, big favourite in our house. Same. Nanu, nanu. Nanu, nanu. Shuzbut. Shuzbut. I'm doing the little the finger. Can you do that? It's where you put your little finger and the finger next to it together. Yes, look at that. You've got it. Back to Amy. Look, she also told her followers she was God and that she was the creator of the universe. I mean, yes, you're right about the red flags here. Yeah. There's just too many. Uh, she said she was divine love and that she could heal people. And that she could basically just show people the path to living a full, you know, free life, full of total truth. And even though it was a tiny cult, by that I mean she had around 20 full-time followers that actually lived with her. And, you know, they were obviously super devoted. But there were also around 200 what she called ambassadors who were all online remote-only followers. And they were from Australia, and South Africa, and Central America, and of course, you know, the US of A. They all worshipped her from different social platforms, you know, mostly Facebook and YouTube. There would be big group chats where they'd all connect and talk about everything. Like I said earlier, most of these people were just lost. They were looking for meaning, maybe prone to magical thinking, maybe into QAnon, because in fact, love has won, has a lot in common with QAnon in that they thought the pandemic was planned. Uh, Sandy Hook Massacre, 9-11, Holocaust, all fake. And Adolf Hitler's real purpose was to serve the light and that the concentration camps were not to kill the Jews, but to teach them how to work because according to them... What? Yeah, according to them... All they ever wanted was for everyone else to do the work and they take the money. So Hitler oh wanted to teach them God. how to do the work. So that's what we're dealing it's with here. It's another anti-Semitic yeah. where all these conspiracy theories seem to stem from, anti-Semitism to some degree. But all her followers loved her. They loved Mother God and they would do anything for her. And spoiler alert, if you hadn't guessed already, it did not end well for Amy slash Mother God. But who the fuck is Amy Carlson? She was born in 1975 in a small Kansas town outside of Wichita. She was the eldest of three sisters. And when you see pictures of her as a teenager in high school, she was one of those all-American, wholesome teenagers, blonde curly perm, teased hair, totally normal, middle-class suburban girl. So what happened? She smoked too much marijuana? 
I don't know what drugs were involved, if any. But she was she was a straight A student. She was popular, but uh-huh. according to her mum, never a leader. In her early twenties, she already had three kids. She was married and divorced. She was the manager of a McDonald's in Houston, and she ended up being divorced three times. And then on December 10, 2007, she released herself from her 3D relationship, i.e. she oh. left her husband and kids. That sounds like something that Gwyneth might do, Gwyneth Paltrow. Yeah, it's like she's not consciously uncoupling. She's releasing her 3D relationship. Okay. Yes. Right. And she moved to Colorado with a guy who she called her new twin flame. I'm doing air quotes here. Okay. Uh, and he called himself... A Merith White Eagle. A what? A Merith White Eagle. Okay. And that's when she became Mother God. 19 billion years old. Lived more than 500 lives. What happened? I mean, all of a sudden she's got a frizzy perm. And next thing you know, oh, and she's had three kids, three divorces, which is all very normal. Mm. And suddenly she's Mother God. She's 19 billion years old. She's moving onwards and upwards from a 3D, I'd love to know the breaking point here, the changing point. This is all probably in that documentary. So that's another okay, which reason, which I didn't watch. <laughs> it's because I only realised there was one after I'd done the story and I was like, oh, for God's sake. Aww. Well, I don't have time now. Fair enough. But okay. I did want to say, because we did talk about QAnon, she believed she was almost single-handedly fighting the cabal which, according to her, the Cabal is a dodgy global organization made up of reptiles and ancient aliens. And they're all connected to the Illuminati, whose mission is to keep humanity in a low vibrational state. And basically, the Cabal is the force behind all evil. They're behind wars and mass shootings and pandemic, but they're not Mm -hmm. real anyway. None of it's real. They're not real, so it's not really happening. Okay. Gosh, your imagination can just go crazy and there's no boundaries. There's no end to it, really, is there? The nonsense. Well, she thought the cabal had tried to assassinate her more than 600 times. But oh. each time, she'd managed to thwart the assassination attempts and stay alive. Oh. So she's got magical powers. Not only that, yeah. Mother God was apparently the queen of a mythical ancient society and city called Lemuria where Donald Trump was her father. And she believed her mission in life was to lead 144,000 believers into 5D, into that plane of existence, where everyone would be enlightened and could live whatever kind of life they wanted to live and they could leave behind whatever was holding them back in this broken 3D terrible world that we live in, Geordie. What does 5D look like? Well, 5D is where I thought you were kind of dead, but not dead because ascending into the 5D world involves taking your physical body into that plane. So you don't die. Yeah, that's what I thought. Because according to Lovers One theology, there is no life and afterlife as we know it. It's all part of the same reality, Mm -hmm. which I was thinking if it's part of the same reality, 3D, 5D, what's a diff? Same diff. Same diff. (laughs) In fact, Amy thought that when it was her time to ascend to the 5D plane, she would be carried off in a spaceship or through a portal in the ocean. It's a bit like Kevin's Gate. Kevin's Gate? I did say Kevin's Gate. <laughs> you said Kevin's Gate. <laughs> Who's Kev, mate? Who's Kev? I meant to say Heaven's Gate. I don't know how Kevin's Gate came out. <laughs> Kevin, Amy, going through that gate. I will say, spoiler, 
Amy did not go through a portal in the ocean or get picked up by a starship, but more of that later. Soz Amy. Amy and Love Has Won were really, really good at online content. They were creating YouTube videos every day. They were getting loads of views. And then they began to sell stuff. Candles, body butter. Body butter? Body butter. Oh, God. Kev was selling the body butter. This sounds like a Christmas gift rundown, actually, Michelle. Candles, body butter. Maybe we should do an eavesdropping line of candles and body, body butter, butter, but it won't be ready until next Christmas, I'm afraid, listeners. Do you know, that's a great idea. Pin that. Also pin colloidal silver. That's what she was selling as well. My husband loves that stuff. Oh, uh, well, this is a, a tale for him, a cautionary tale. You make <sighs> sure he listens. He loves that and neti pots, but he hasn't listened. So let's see what happens when he does. I'm sorry, but your husband might not survive. <laughs> he might not survive to Christmas if he keeps up with the <laughs> neti pot and the colloidal silver. Because look, during the pandemic, Love Has One was selling it as a cure for COVID. And it sold like crazy. They were getting donations as well through through the YouTubes. And not just like, you know, five bucks here and there. Tens of thousands. Oh, wow. They sold vitamins. They were selling supplements. They also offered etheric surgery. What? Yeah, it was like etheric. It, like energy surgery. Etheric. 88 bucks a session. That sounds like Reiki. It also sounds like a bullshit. And uh, they said it could remove sickness, release negative energy from the body. Basically, they found the perfect way to monetize the cult without having to leave the sofa. And they were good at it. Really good at it. Mother God never thought uh, Love Has Won was a cult. Let's face it, no leader ever does, right? They never called themselves a cult. But it was branded a cult by the media, by ex-members who say that they were physically abused there was sleep deprivation, they were brainwashed, they were given limited food, their money was taken from them, all the stuff that normally goes on in a cult. Yeah. If you were a follower, your money was Mother God's money. They were also, you know, encouraged to give cash to Love Has One projects, to pay for counselling, to pay for their own etheric surgery sessions. Remember before how I said she was the eldest of three sisters? Yeah. Turns out her sisters were really worried about her. I'm sure. And they kind of tricked her into going on Dr. Phil in September 2020, (laughs) where Dr. Phil asked her if she was a leader of a cult and if she was abusing her followers. And of course she said no. It's car crash TV. Actually, I read this excellent Rolling Stone article. I'll pop a link to that in the Patreon, that Amy's family... They went on Dr. Phil because they wanted her to get medical attention. They believed she had like severe mental illness. They could see that she was physically sick. She was a stick at this point. And they hoped that Dr. Phil would be kind of the thing that would pull Amy out of the cult. But of course it didn't work because going on Dr. Phil is not about getting answers. It's about the kind of TV that you want to turn away from, but you're just compelled to keep watching. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, I think Mother God sounds like a bit of a car crash herself. And also, if you're a follower, you weren't allowed to drink alcohol. You weren't allowed to take drugs. But the rules did not apply to Mother God. And I am not joking, Geordie. I have seen clips of her where she is basically hammered and she's a fucking nightmare. She's aggressive. She's screaming. (laughs) She's abusing people. She's the worst drunk you never want to go out on a night with. Like a real Jekyll and Hyde. And if you think I swear, she is fucking you fuck up! 
Like she is. Oh my goodness. It's really scary. And she's like, fuck you, you fucking dick horse. Oh. I'm sorry if that upsets anyone, me saying that. <laughs> That's what she's like. She's screaming and you just think, how is anyone following this woman? She's Golly. a nightmare. I'll link to some videos I saw because there was actually a fantastic okay. documentary, a small documentary that I watched when I did a mini dive on her. So there's lots of docs on this person. No, there's not. There's this one tiny one, 10 minutes, and then there's this HBO one. I mean, she's out of her mind on drugs and alcohol. It's shocking. She just was a mean drunk. They really did feel that this mean drunk was going to lead them out of their miserable lives and into this beautiful 5D Mm -hmm. dimension. And she was meant to never physically die. She was meant to just heal the world. But part of that, how I think she got sick, is, you know, the booze. But also... Her followers thought she got sick because part of the whole Love Has One doctrine is that Amy's body was essentially a filter, like a filtration system for all the shit and all the bad things that were happening in the world. The world could only be cleansed of negative energy and low vibrations if it was filtered and physically cleaned through her body. What? Okay, this is my biggest waving red blanket out the window right now. That's a great way to explain away some really shitty behavior. Yeah, and that's why she was suffering. It was intense physical suffering that she was going through because she was cleansing the world. She was just fucking hammered. But she did it all for the love of humankind. Go for it. Love has won followers even claimed that if Amy died, everyone Mm. on the planet would also die. It was the duty of her followers to shield her from damage and death through their faith. Essentially, Amy had to process all the negative energy in the world, which meant that when her followers did something wrong, she physically suffered. It meant she could then punish them or banish them. And she would rant and scream and do all of this, you know, screaming like I did earlier because she was suffering so much. The thing is... The cult was attracting new members. I did read this, that if you were a new member of the cult, you would basically be love-bombed. You were made to feel loved and understood and welcomed into the group. There was this one account from a former follower called Jeremy Brown who went to live with Mother God for six weeks in 2019. And he said he got love-bombed. And he said, honestly, the first two weeks of being in Love Has One were the happiest time of his life. Right, yeah. That's a classic tactic, isn't it? Even though Amy was basically drinking herself to death with all the booze, she was chugging down her neck. She called it her medicine, by the way. (laughs) She found time to live stream for hours every day and she encouraged her followers to write blogs and do online consultations, work on their e-commerce business, which was called Gaia's Whole Healing Essentials. Great name. They sold things like essential oils, crystal pyramids, along with the body butter, and the colloidal silver, which turns out Amy took obsessively. Now, colloidal silver is a drink made by suspending silver particles in liquid. It's marketed as a cure-all dietary kind of supplement. But if you drink too much of it, Geordie... I'm sure there's some effects. Your skin turns blue. Oh, gosh. And you will get really sick. And Mm. in fact... In April 2020, Gaia's Whole Healing Essentials got a warning from the FDA in America to stop claiming that colloidal silver would cure COVID. So they had to remove that. 
still, she was chugging down that colloidal silver along with the booze. What a combo. Well, she said she was only drinking the booze and the colloidal silver because of the intense physical pain she was in because she was the filter for all the negative energy in the world. Actually, there's this one video where she's screaming at some of her followers. You know, she was like, get me some tequila. And she's like, where's my tequila, you dick horse? (laughs) She's a lovely lady. But ultimately, Amy was not well. She was literally drinking herself to death. All the colloidal silver did turn her blue. Her skin was blue. Wow. Yep. It was killing her. Did you see pictures? Yeah, you can go online and see pictures. Oh, my gosh. Then in September 2020... Amy was reportedly paralyzed from the waist down. Oh, no. And then she told people she had cancer. Didn't have cancer. All right. But she did have like some really serious illnesses by the sound of it. Yep. Then, trigger, on 28th of April, 2021, the mummified body (gasps) of Mother God was discovered in her house where the followers lived her body was wrapped in a sleeping bag. Oh, God. She had Christmas lights. Christmas every day in December, guys. Every oh. Wednesday. Her body was wrapped in Christmas lights. That's a horror film. Her face was covered in glitter and... That's a horror film. Her, her eyes were gone. Ah. Her eyes were gone. Where did they go? Well, ask the bloody followers. Now, look, <sighs> authorities like estimate she'd probably been dead for a few weeks. She was 45. Fuck a duck. I read that Amy had actually asked her followers at various points for medical intervention, but they were like, fuck that. You have to die because you have to go to the fifth dimension. It's normal. This is what happens. Well, they were also worried that it was a ruse from the cabal. The cabal wanted to get her. And this is a quote. There have been moments when mom has asked us to take her to a 3D hospital and we were like, nope, because... (sighs) There's no way, and we know exactly how hijacking works, is what one member said. Oh, God, that's just so dark. I I can barely process this. I know. And she went on to say, and you can bet your fucking ass that someone in that hospital, whoever it would be, would get hijacked and go straight for mom to try to do who knows what. They would try to take her to surgery. They would try to do some crazy shit. So absolutely not. And there's a photo of her online a few weeks before she died. She is emaciated. She's got basically no hair. She's got some kind of unicorn fake hair stuck on and she's got blue skin. And the cause of death was attributed to alcohol abuse, anorexia Mm. and chronic colloidal silver ingestion. Oh, dear me. So she was basically... Killing herself. Foisted by her own petard. She she killed herself because she convinced all of her followers of this nonsense to the point where when she realized, oh, fuck, I know this ain't real. Mm. It's time to come clean and take me. They they wouldn't believe her. It's the classic boy who cried wolf kind of, is it? I mean, I'm just making shit up here. Well, just to wrap this up, of course her followers don't believe Mother God is dead. She's just on the 5D plane of existence. Are they still active members? There are, but they've rebranded. I find that very worrying. Yes. And dangerous. I think they're dangerous people. Well, they've rebranded to 5D Full Disclosure and it's being run by a guy called Jason Castillo, who was Amy's boyfriend, also known Mm -hmm. as Father God, also complete with prison ankle tag. (laughs) Yeah. And actually, he's he's also uh, started another offshoot called Joy Reigns. 
And he now calls himself Mother Father God because he has unified Amy's energy with his energy. So love has won. This is very concerning. Mm, In all its new forms, it's still continuing to attract people. They're still getting donations, still selling body butter and products and (laughs) etheric surgeries. But they're saying that Amy's performing the etheric surgeries because she's just performing it from the fifth dimension. Oh, my God. It's a fucking business and the cult goes on. Is it wrong to want to purchase some of that body butter? Christmas. I'll get it for you, along with a travel pussy. Thank you. (laughs) I don't know about the last thing, but yes, please, to body butter. Thank you. Don't click on that link. Don't think that Nigerian prince wants to give you a million dollars. Don't give him your maiden name. Don't give them your date of birth. Thanks, Michelle, for that story. That is insane and it will give me nightmares for sure. I'm going to go a little bit further back in time today. I've got my article, my information from an article in the LA East. Do you know what that is? Yeah, it's an online portal for all knowledge. There's lots of good things on there Mm. and I think it's because it's based in LA and there's (laughs) lots of crazy stories basically coming from LA. Yes. I had heard about this cult before when I was reading recently Diane Lake's memoir. Now, Diane Lake, as you know, Michelle, is a member of Charles Manson's family, the youngest member, in fact. She was 14 when her parents dropped out of society. They were living in a commune. They were giving her and her younger brothers and sisters acid regularly. And then she, of course, fell into the hands of not one but two, but three different bad people and eventually ended up being abused almost Mm. daily sexually and physically by Charles Manson but she was brainwashed I suppose into thinking that that was what she wanted and needed and you know it was almost like Stockholm Syndrome yeah the memoir is really interesting to read actually Mm. to come from a member of a cult's own perspective yes and see what goes through their mind and obviously in reflection she can see like she was only young the people who were supposed to be looking after her had let her down terribly she wasn't being cared for properly and that's how she ended up in this awful situation which she took and took and went back for more yep but out of that story there was a lot of interesting bits of information because she was living this you know she mentioned a cult that i'd never heard of and it's called Fountain of the World, and it was run by a guy called Krishna Venta, otherwise known as The Voice or The Master, as he was sometimes known. Of course you would. He was born Francis Homan Penkovich in 1911. So this is actually an old cult, Michelle, where yours is quite modern. Mine is quite old. It is actually from the 1940s. He was the leader, this guy, um, what do I call him? Krishna Venta. He was the leader of a Californian-based religious cult in the Simi Valley in the 40s, like I said. And not only was it known as Fountain of the World, it was also known as WKFL, which stands for Wisdom, Knowledge, Faith and Love. That sounds to me like a wordle clue or connections on the daily puzzles. Or a WFQ or something. It sounds rude. It sounds like... Fuck my life. FML. LOL. Lols. So he was born to Romanian immigrants and he apparently looked particularly Jesus-like. And Mm. that led him to say things like, I may as well say it, I am Christ. He was quoted. He claimed to be born... A bit like your cult leader, Michelle, Amy, he claimed to have been born on another planet called Neophrates, 240,000 
years ago. And apparently near Freites, it was the very first home of humankind, except it got too close to the sun and its inhabitants had to flee. And he told followers that a fleet of great rocket ships, each more than a mile long and capable of carrying 35,000 people, had set off to colonise Earth. And that's how he got there. And his spirit, again, much like your friend Amy, Michelle, his spirit was formerly in Christ, Buddha, Abraham Lincoln and other notable philosophers such as Mormon leader Joseph Smith mm-hmm. until it landed in him. He would have been Marilyn Monroe as well if he uh, if he'd stayed. If she had been around exactly. at that time. John Lennon. Amongst his predictions, the strongest one was, and this will sound familiar to listeners of eavesdropping, he predicted the United States would be consumed by a cataclysmic race war and anyone wishing to make it through Armageddon would need to give him all their possessions and live by his rules, which were loosely based on the Ten Commandments. Loosely. Key word there. That must be okay. Honour thy mother and thy father and... Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not covet your neighbour's chicken. Wife. In 1949, Krishna and 60 of his followers, 6-0, moved to a 23-acre glen. What's a glen? Like a clearing? Yes. Like a bit of a paddock or a woods or something? In Box Canyon in Simi Valley, which is about 25 miles north of L.A. The group decided they would no longer wear shoes or cut their hair or dress in anything but long robes until the world was at peace. But my guess is, once that happened... You probably wouldn't change into jeans and a t-shirt, would you? And, you know, flat forms. No. You'd be still in your robes and, yeah, you'd be like, oh, I like it. I'm not changing. I know I said I'd change when there was peace, but fuck that. I like my outfit. I'm in a robe. I love a caftan. What's wrong with robes? I love a caftan. I love a robe to wear it every day, all day, every day. And LA is warm. California is warm. Why not? Why the fuck not? Don't need to wear knickers underneath. Free fallen. Foreman. Free falling. Free falling. Free flopping. So this gang, this group of people, let's call them, started out living in tents while Krishna and his second wife, Ruth, and their two boys moved into one of the many sandstone caves in the valley. Nice. Sounds idyllic. The group soon built living quarters, including segregated dormitories and a two-story dining hall, plus an admin centre, Michelle. So it's almost sounding to me like... A centre parks or something where there's a reception. Okay. You turn up and you're living in like yurts. Here's your robe. Here's your yurt. Here's your robe. Give me those shoes. Yes. Off you go. There was also a stone-walled monastery built by the acolytes as a tribute to their master. And before long, day trippers, like people driving through the valleys from LA to Box Canyon, would start getting used to seeing these barefooted, robe-wearing floaty types emerging from the bush, offering help if they'd broken down or assisting firefighters when disaster struck the area, like brush fires. They were all volunteers in the fire service. They sound like they're good people. Kind. Helping. Yeah. Well, they, they got themselves a reputation as being kind and helpful. Good Samaritans. Then we're moving forward to July 12th, 1949. Now, Something happened that day because fog had impaired the vision of a pilot of Standard Airlines Flight 897R as he approached Burbank Airport in L.A. And he clipped the edge of a hill and crashed into the mountainside at 140 miles per hour. Mm -hmm. Of the 48 passengers on board, only 15 survived and they crash landed in the Simi Valley area, Box Canyon area. When the press arrived to the crash site, they found Krishna among the burning wreckage, directing evacuations in his bare feet and robes, plus a parade of his followers 
visiting survivors later on at their hospital beds days after the disaster. These guys were magnificent humans, by all accounts. Yes, really. And they got themselves known in the press that they were friendly, helpful guys. All these articles about them were... Angels, how wonderful these offbeat religious group were. They even started a food bank for homeless people and over the years the commune became a shelter for battered women and a rehab centre as well for alcoholics and drug addicts. So what a great bunch, right? Really? I'm thinking... What could go wrong? (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking this sounds too good to be true and they're getting a lot of good Mm. press which makes people Mm. think, hey, I want to join this. I'm feeling like a little lost. Maybe this is my answer. And we are talking early days of cults as well. We hadn't seen things like Koresh or... Kevin's Gate. Kevin's Gate. Kevin's Gate, exactly, (laughs) and uh, Jim Jones and his gang. Mm. The members who would join the Fountain of the World were from all walks of life. They were tradesmen, businessmen. They were all now working in their robes and bare feet, six days a week, tending to a small herd of goats and sheep, harvesting vegetable crops, baking homemade bread on outdoor wood stoves. They all brought their children along too. They were raised in a communal manner and schooled on site and you could marry but only on Krishna's birthday and no sex allowed. Okay why do you need to control people like this? Okay we're getting a little insight here. Now unfortunately because this is all very pre-internet there's not enough kind of great anecdotal stories about it so I could only get things written about in the press and around 1956 Krishna Venter was arrested. So this is now what, seven or eight years later after the plane crash. Yep. Krishna Venter was arrested and imprisoned for failure to pay child support to his first wife. Okay, so they got him on something. They got him on something. They put him in prison. And some more info came out about Krishna, such as the years he spent during the Great Depression, pre-cult setup in the 30s, yep. living as a homeless person, riding on the trains, and using hundreds of aliases. Now, that's okay, right? No. What's wrong with that? That's dodgy. Red flag, 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 flag. Okay. (laughs) Come on. But if he was homeless, a guy's got to do what a guy's got to do just to get by, right? I would have thought. But it's the depression. Everyone's homeless. Everyone's lost everything. People were throwing themselves out the window. Oh, my God. After... The crash and whatever, but it's a tough time. It's a tough, and then obviously yeah. the war straight after that. So, yeah, it's a dark period in history. Yeah, rough times. During the early years of the U.S. involvement in World War II, he was arrested for writing threatening letters oh. to President Roosevelt. He did nine months in jail for stealing <gasps> and spent a month at the California State Mental Hospital. This guy's not a good guy. He's not a good guy. And he's got mental health issues. He might be. It was also revealed that he and the foundation's right-hand man, called Cardinal Jean Shanafelt, would take trips around the country and abroad in order to spread the gospel, yet somehow always end up in casinos. (laughs) Come on, come on, red or black, red or black. (laughs) Snickers. Clearly Krishna had a gambling problem as Mm. the foundation would often have to bail him out financially. Not just gambling, but also speeding and delivering sermons through clouds of cigar smoke. So a little bit like your cult leader, Amy, mm. he wasn't an angel as far as those things were concerned. He, was, he had his vices, didn't he? I really don't want you to say that he was doing 
bad stuff with children because that's not nice. Yeah. Well, I'm not too sure about that. The underage sex, they all do it. Yeah. So I'm not sure because none of that was anecdotally written and there's no proof. But there's two members who arrived with their families. Their names were Ralph Muller, 33, and Peter Kamenoff, who was 42. They arrived with their families and claimed that he was sleeping with both their wives. They didn't like that. Of course not. It's the sexy stuff. There's always the sexy stuff. There's always the sexy stuff. And if you can't have sex with your wives, why can't you? Exactly. Who's doing that? He is. In late 1957, both Muller and Kamenov, who had taken the names Elzibar and Jeraham, were fed up of all of this being told what to do and him fucking their wives. So they started to cause ruptures within the group. And they would ask disruptive questions like, Why was the commune comprised mostly of young females, including at least one ex-model? Right, here we go. Why, despite having a wife, did Krishna choose to bed most nights with a random sister in his personal station wagon? Oh my God. If that station wagon's a rockin', don't come a-knockin'. Don't come a-knockin'. Everyone else has to keep it in their pants. Exactly. So in response to this, because they all become monks, sisters, you know, cardinals, Mm. whatever, when they join Fountain of the World, he told them these disruptive monks were planning a breakaway sect and spread rumours that they were wife beaters. Oh, God. And we don't know what's true. There's no way of proving either way. No, but he's controlling the narrative on these these guys. He's preempting. So then in 1958, Muller and Kamenov tried to get a special agent from the California Department of Justice in on their cause and tried to bring him up to speed and get him to do something about Krishnaventa. But it was unsuccessful. So the next day, Muller went to an oil well supply company and told the shop assistant he was buying supplies to use for blasting. Oh, oh dear. The following evening, yeah. The following evening at a motel, half an hour away from the mountains where the commune was, Muller and Kamenov built an incendiary device and put it in a bag, like a rucksack. They left a two-hour tape recording explaining their reasons for what they were about to do, along with notes asking for forgiveness. And then at midnight, they drove their truck to the mountains and parked at the WKFL entrance under a wooden sign that declared, Ye who enter here, enter upon holy ground. That was kind of like the logo. Yeah, their tagline. So they've driven up to reception and that's the the entry sign around 1 30 in the morning a cult member called brother martin had just finished his evening chores when he heard voices coming from the monastery and he said i saw lights were on and i went over the master and cardinal gene that's the right hand man the gambling brothers were in the corridor of the building talking to a young man about 25 or 26 carrying a bag Cardinal Jean and the master were extremely displeased with him, and I had never seen them angry since I've been here. The conversation stopped abruptly when the men spotted Martin, so he excused himself to go back to the men's dormitory. He said he walked about one-eighth of a mile, and I don't know how long that is. I didn't Google that. Then an enormous explosion lifted the top off the monastery. We knew that was coming. We knew it. We knew. There was an incendiary device. It was a bit of a giveaway. The rock walls of the canyon amplified the blast, which was heard more than 20 miles away because it's inside all these rock caves. So it would have been really bloody noisy. Yeah. Even a woman who lived a mile away was blown out of bed (gasps) by the shockwave. No. One of Krishna's sons, 11-year-old Shava, who was sleeping in the boys' dorm, remembers 
The shattering explosion jarred us from our sleep. The roof fell in on top of us. Everything seemed to catch fire. Our beds, the walls, our clothing and all our possessions. It hardly seemed like no more than five minutes had passed after we left the dormitory. Then it was burnt completely to the ground. Wow. Even the engine room door of the nearest fire station was blown off its hinges, which slowed down the first responders trying to reach the fire, which Mm -hmm. burned through nearly 150 acres of bushland in the area. Thick smoke hung around the canyon for days afterwards. Ten people were killed, including Krishnaventa and Cardinal Jean. And the youngest victims, very sadly, were in the children's dormitories. There was Keela Baker, who was seven, and Cardinal Jean's son, Elwyn, who was 11. People, though, despite this, persisted that Krishna had escaped because he's amazing. However, his dental plate and a piece of his jawbone were later identified. The FBI also identified part of a hand and a single thumb belonging to the killers so they died as well so they all died a little bit jihadi they killed themselves and and they had the tape recording as well the survivors buried their master's remains in a potter's grave in north hollywood's valhalla cemetery and his widow ruth went on to lead the sect in restoring its original buildings the perpetrators had planned this out because it's claimed They were furious at being led by a man who wasn't as he appeared. And before going off to blow it up, like I said, they had taped this confession as well as writing farewell letters to their loved ones, including one of the bombers. Oh, my God. One of the bombers. Oh, my God. Why did I say it? One of the bombers. Bomber. One of the bombers' young sons. And the note read, I am willing to give up my life to free you. Oh, shit. They knew what they were doing. They felt like the only way out was kill him kill themselves it's a bit extreme and they had been to one guy beforehand to get help and because that wasn't paid attention to they just went not to 100 but they were also brainwashed at this point too you know and trying to get out of it so they probably weren't getting the help they needed to see clearly so i've got some of the tape not all i did try and look for it but it was really hard to find it Mm. said it's now 7 30 p.m within the next four hours we will drive to box canyon to see krishna with the demand a right adjustment be made This may be our last night in the world. Dear God, give us freedom or death. They got death. They did. But freedom for the families, I guess. Post-bomb, members started to leave the cult. And so that left the cult lacking in members and unable to continue. But here's your Manson link. Near the WKFL compound was Spahn Ranch. And in the late 60s, Manson and his followers had lived for several months, I think between Spawn and when they were traveling around, they found the site of the Fountain of the World and there were still cult members there. Oh. And they went and lived there for a little while. Manson even tried unsuccessfully to take over as Messiah for the sect. And if you remember, Krishna Venter's big thing was the race war. What was Manson's yes. big line? The race it was all about war. the race war. Eventually, Manson was kicked out from the commune and that's when he moved his family to the Spawn movie ranch. And the yep. parallels, like I said, between Venter's Apocalypse and Manson's Helter Skelter were so obvious. Yeah. Where the white people will lose out to the black people while the cult hide underground. This is their idea of this stupid race war. Eventually, they would reemerge from a secret cave in the desert or a hole in the earth and take over. Oh, my God. But Manson, Michelle, wasn't the only cult leader to think of this because... Another cult leader who we've spoken about in the past, Sun Young Moon, head of the Moonies, 
Yeah. He also took up residence within the Fountain of the World community for several months in 1968. They all had a bash at it. So in a way, the Fountain of the World could be the mother of all these cults. The fountain of all cults. Exactly. By the 80s, though, WKFL was practically over, but culty members went on to future culty fame, such as one former member called Dorothy Martin, a.k.a. Sister Thedra. She moved to Chicago and became the guru for The Seekers. Pin that. That's a UFO doomsday cult, a bit like Kevin's Gate, as I mentioned earlier. Oh, we can do that in future. I think we need to do that in future because you know Mm. I do love a cult. Then there was also, this is quite sad, David and Gladys Smith, who were a married couple, and a lady called Irma Winfrey, former members of the Fountain of the World cult. Great names, Gladys and Irma. Wow. Irma Winfrey. So Irma had sustained severe burns in the bombing, but she ended up dead along with 900 others in Guyana because she drank the Kool-Aid, Michelle, in Jim Jones's People's Temple cult, bounced from one cult to the next and all very dangerous as well. They tend to end badly, people. They do. Just saying. Have you ever come across a cult that didn't end badly? A happy, great cult. Well, this one started that way, but of course it all came to a sticky end. And I think anything that where they tell you how to live it's not good. They can give you guidelines for life, but where they when they start imposing control and restrictions, yeah. you know, because like with Amy Carlson and Love Has Won, they controlled your sleep, your food, your money, oh, yeah. you know, classic, classic, classic cult. cult behavior right there. And for what? You've got to look a little bit beyond and think, why am I Whoever's being Whoever's at the top. Yes. Is it an oligarchy? Is that what we're calling it? What is it when there's one person at the top? It's a dictatorship. It is a dictatorship. Right in, people. I say no to that. And don't forget, people, you can tune into more info, more vids, more links if you sign up to be a patron. You don't have to go the full whack. We are looking at tiers. So if you just want to buy us a coffee, just to say thank you for all the free stuff that we do, which is every Every episode, every week for four bloody years, by the way, Michelle, congratulations. We have hit. It's three. It's three years. Okay. My maths is so bad. It's because it's confusing because we're in season four because season one, we decided to do it by year. And season one was really only about six weeks because it was the end of bloody COVID. It was November, 2020, we started. And now here we are still maintaining our spot, top 5% of globally listened to podcasts. We're doing well and it's all because of you. Thanks, guys. We do love our listeners. I would say that it's now time for us to mention that wherever you are, whatever you do, just just keep keep eavesdropping. 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 Eaves